The Greater Victoria Shakespeare Festival creates and performs on the land of the Lekwungen and Wasainic peoples. We respect the relationship they continue to have with the land to this day and the strength of generational resilience in the face of ongoing systemic colonial violence and genocide. We are committed to the ongoing process of unlearning deeply embedded notions of white supremacy and colonial racism and to continuing to become better allies wherever we can. As you listen to this podcast, please consider your relationship to this land and remember that every settler is responsible for dismantling the colonial genocide that Indigenous people continue to face. Welcome to the Greater Victoria Shakespeare Festival's Soliloquy Project. Today's play is As You Like It. Sound design and theme song for this podcast are by Taylor Lewis. The outro is presented by General Manager Candace Woodland. The podcast is hosted by Artistic Director Karen Lee Pickett. She interviews Dr. Erin Kelly. Hello, Erin. Welcome again to the Soliloquy Project. Um, with me is Erin Kelly, uh, Associate Professor in English at the University of Victoria with a research focus on Renaissance drama. Hi. Hello, Karen. It's nice to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Hi. Very glad to be talking to you again today. And today we're talking about As You Like It and a particular speech um, from Duke Senior uh, that comes in the play. Um, maybe first tell us a little bit about this play. So um, As You Like It is a comedy. Um, it's actually Shakespeare turning into a play, a prose text that was actually written by a rough contemporary of his named Thomas Lodge. Thomas Lodge wrote a prose romance called Rosalind, which you know is about a uh, young woman named Rosalind whose father, the rightful duke, is overthrown by his younger brother and Rosalind winds up dressing as a boy and going off into the woods. So so in other words, this is a very direct source. Um, but what Shakespeare does with that prose source is he basically adds all of this wonderful, lush, delicious poetry. Um, and he really creates a play that um, for a lot of people who enjoy Shakespeare's comedies is one of their favorites. Uh, Rosalind is often thought about as one of the great Shakespeare female roles. This is a play that gets talked about as one of Shakespeare's green world plays, where uh, one of the ways that things get worked out in this play is that people go off into this green world, This this in this case, the forest, uh, where the normal rules of society no longer seem to apply, and that somehow that allows things to get worked out in uh, rather satisfying ways. Mm -hmm. Let, let's actually talk a little bit about the forest, the forest of Arden, uh, being, a, being a somewhat real place. Yeah, I mean, so in some ways, this is a real place in that it seems to have uh, trees and rocks and brooks, and those are the kinds of things that uh, the Duke alludes to. There also seems to be a lot of shepherds in it. Um, normally, we would raise sheep in pastures, not in forests. Uh, it's also a forest that seems to have um, a lion in it 
for reasons that are not entirely clear. Uh, French forests are not particularly known for their spectacular large serpents, their lions. You know, this is also a forest in which, you know, the goddess Hymen can show up <laughs> just because. Um, I had, I was talking to, about this play to some students recently, and we had just talked about Midsummer Night's Dream, and they were like, is there magic in this? And I said, no, no, there's no magic in this. And I was like, oh, no, there is. A goddess comes in at the end. <laughs> And and in some ways that is, you know, the the, the idea of when you cross the line um, from uh, something that is realistic into something that is possible but not entirely realistic um, and then into the full-on realm of the magical. I think that in-between space that we see a lot of in As You Like It um, is what, what we're really talking about is romance, right? I mentioned that that Lodge prose text is a prose romance. Um, and part of what happens in romances is, is we do get things like, if not full-on magic, the kind of wonderful happenstance that you wander into a forest and you just happen to run into exactly the person you were hoping to run into. You're two long-lost um, brothers. Right? Exactly. Um, you happen to uh, come upon a man under a tree just about to be uh, eaten by a lion. This is all, of course, you know, quite um, unlikely, but romances... That's exactly what happens in romances, things yeah. that are very, very unlikely and improbable. So it's not, is it full-on magic? Eh, not exactly, but pretty close. Yeah. Magical coincidence. Magical yeah. coincidence is a great way to put it. <laughs> um, but then honing in on this particular speech, so this is the Duke, and um, maybe talk a little bit about what, uh, where this comes in the play. Absolutely. So this is the first time we actually see the rightful Duke. Um, what we've started the play with is actually uh, the, the realm of the usurping Duke, Duke Frederick, Duke Frederick's daughter, Celia, and her cousin, Rosalind, Rosalind being the daughter of this Duke who has been forced into exile, this rightful Duke has been forced into exile. At the beginning of the play, what we do see is that Celia and Rosalind are very close to each other. Basically, though, the, the big inciting incident is that the usurping Duke, as though he hasn't already established that he's a bit of a, a you know, rotter by uh, exiling his brother, uh, basically then comes up with the idea that Rosalind is detracting from his daughter Celia's uh, chances at somehow being successful and being beloved. And so he declares that Rosalind will have to go into exile. Celia, in a kind of sisterly friend spirit, uh, insists that she's going to go too. And that's the point at which Rosalind and Celia decide that they're going to go off into the forest. Uh, Rosalind uh, dresses herself as a boy. Celia disguises herself as a, a poor woman. They take with them uh, the, the clown and they head off into the woods. And after they have then made this decision, we basically go to the forest, the forest that they are about to flee into, but we don't get to see them yet in the forest. Instead, we get to see Rosalind's father, the rightful Duke, Duke Senior, as he's often referred to, um, 
in the woods with his uh, courtiers also in exile. And we have the Duke uh, making this pronouncement about what it's like to be in exile. And he basically is, uh, by making such a beautiful speech, he is in many ways creating a contrast between himself and his younger brother. He's showing how sophisticated his language is. His, his poetry is so beautiful. His language is so gorgeous. His ideas are so philosophically sound. Of course, he's the rightful Duke. Um, there's all sorts of signs in this speech that you, know, you would see him as a good leader. And then in terms of the content, that what he is doing is drawing a contrast and that he's drawing a contrast between the court and the woods, the court and the forest. This is a very, very old idea that goes all the way back into classical literature, whether it's, you know, the pastoral or the bucolic, but basically this tradition of poetry that that draws a contrast between the court slash city slash civilization slash, you know, supposedly sophisticated things and, you know, the countryside shepherds, um, woods, forest, wilderness. Uh, almost always that poetry is emphasizing the idea that, you know, the, the forest or the fields or these simple people with their simple lives are somehow better, more moral, more pure. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the idea that the Duke is relying upon when he basically uh, calls these, you know, brothers in exile, um, the fact that he calls them brothers, he's the Duke, they're his courtiers, they're actually his subservience, but, but, but by calling them brothers, he's implying a kind of equality. And then he basically you know, points out how good they have it, even though they are in exile, because old custom has made this life more sweet than that of painted pomp. Basically, the woods are so much better than the court. Isn't it better to be here in the woods than it is to be in court? Because the court is full of peril and it's full of envy and it's full of danger and it's full of problems. And we know that because we've just seen Rosalind kicked out of the court. Um, He's not wrong. But what you get in the woods, the only danger in the woods is it's it's a little bit uncomfortable, but what you don't get is this corruption that you see amongst people with you know flatterers and foolish counselors and you know those kinds of things. And all of this leads the Duke to make this incredibly interesting pronouncement: "Sweet are the uses of adversity." That basically um, this idea that even when things are are not perfect, that you can find in the adversity you're experiencing something sweet, something admirable, something uh, positive. And by having a proper perspective, instead of sitting in the woods in exile, thinking, I am cold and I am the rightful Duke, and this is not what I signed up for, (laughs) that instead one can think, I am here with my brothers and here we are all able to talk poetry and philosophy and isn't this quite wonderful and quite grand? Mm, Um, It's quite, um, it's very congruent with our current situation. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And and I mean and I, I I don't mean to make it sound like, you know, I don't think that this is a a sound way of thinking about, you know, one's circumstances. I mean, actually immediately after the speech, one of the courtiers 
happens to say, you know, happy is your grace that can translate the stubbornness of fortune into so quiet and so sweet a style. And I, I, I like that line because of that, you know, word happy, happy is your grace, because happy uh, for us tends to just mean the emotion, you know, you are happy or you are sad. Um, but happy uh, also has this etymological connection to our word happen, you know, happenstance, things like that. So, so, you know, to be happy is also to be subject to chance. But there's also this really amazing flight of imagination. I mean, it's not just that he's cold. It's not just that they're all cold or that, uh, you know, sometimes the wind is chilly, but that he can actually imaginatively associate this with the penalty of Adam and thus basically the suffering that all of humankind has experienced since uh, the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. I mean, that's quite a flight of imagination. The idea that you can turn, you know, trees into something that has tongues and sing, uh, the fact that you can turn, you know, brooks into uh, books, uh, and, and, and the fact that you can use your imagination to turn your circumstance into beautiful poetry, I think is part of what makes this duke so, such a happy person in exile. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and the, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I and I think that you know one of the ways that this imaginary idea also gets worked out is in what is kind of a, a really strange image in the middle of this speech. If you don't, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you bit. about, really, because okay, would, it's such beautiful poetry, and then you've got this ode with the jewel in its head. So yeah, exactly. So so basically, you know, he 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 is saying, you know, sweet are the uses of adversity, which, like the toad, ugly and venomous where's yet a precious jewel in his head. Um, and, and if you're thinking, wait, are, are toads venomous? Do, do toads have stones in their head? What on earth is this guy on about? Um, this may be uh, a place where, you know, the play is uh, getting close to that idea of something like romance or, or, or magic, or at least what we might think of as something like you know, superstition or, or legend. And yet there was this belief that in the head of a toad, that there was within their skull a kind of jewel that was actually called a toadstone. And people would find these toadstones. They, they actually are not part of the heads of toads. They actually, um, from the little bit that I've been able to understand, they seem to have been fossils of, of some kind of uh, now extinct sea creature. But basically, you know, people found these. They're kind of, you know, shiny-ish and odd-looking. Somehow the story developed that this was a stone that grew in the head of toads. And if you polish them up, they're kind of lovely. Um, But that the, the thinking was toads are poisonous. Toad stones are an antidote to poison. So this idea that, you know, the toad is somehow venomous, but it carries around its own antidote. And where does it carry that antidote in, in its head um, is, is, you know, this rich idea that the Duke is playing with here. You know, yes, the world around us uh, might have these, these qualities that are less than ideal. Yes, our weak bodies means that we may be experiencing cold or hardship or discomfort or hunger or any of those kinds of things. But 
we, we actually have the antidote to all of that. And it's in our heads. It's, mm. We can think ourselves. Uh, we can think our way out of this. We can come to a proper understanding of the world where we instead see this as beautiful and good and beneficent and even sweet. And, you know, turning something venomous into something sweet is exactly the kind of uh, belief that surrounded toadstones and what they were good for. Wow. So it is a perfect image for this, uh, for the speech. It's a deliciously rich image. So, so if you can imagine, not, not only is this a forest that has lions and serpents, but it also has, you know, poisonous toads with jewels in their heads. It's, uh, yeah, the forest of Arden. That's that's great. And and the uh, the Duke actually ends up regaining his his uh, his throne as he well. He does, and he he does. So this is actually one of the things that you know Shakespeare does change, and this is you know what makes this even more romancy because in the in the source on which this play is based um the usurping duke rides into the forest with an army uh to basically uh capture and presumably kill overcome uh the true duke the the duke senior whom he has exiled and uh what winds up happening in that prose romance is that there actually is a battle and the usurping duke is is killed um in this play instead what happens is that uh duke frederick is riding into the forest and he meets an old religious man. That's what the play calls him, an old religious man. And he immediately converts and decides that he is going to go off and live a religious life and that what he has done up to this point has been rotten and he is going to go off and be a good person and basically send someone off with a message you know, to Duke Sr., essentially indicating, go back and be Duke again. And um, if that seems unlikely, if that seems improbable. Another magical coincidence. This is another one of those magical coincidences. This is the kind of thing that happens in in romance. Um, You know, it just so happens that the usurping Duke meets an old religious man and has this conversion. It just so happens that this messenger is somehow able to show up just at the moment of, you know, triumph where you're going to have four couples go off and get married. And then we wind up with, you know, this, this ultimate happy ending because all of the loose ends get, get tied up. Um, that is all very, very much the stuff of romance. I mean, admittedly, other stuff of romance, um, if I am going to be the slightest bit snarky, is to say, you know, somehow Orlando is deeply in love with Rosalind, but as soon as she puts a hat on and a pair of <laughs> trousers, she is apparently so unrecognizable um, that he has absolutely no earthly idea who she is. I have heard someone refer to this as early modern face blindness, um, but actually I think of it as, you know, if you read prose romances of this period, be it Thomas Lodge's um, uh, Rosalind, or any of these kinds of you know prose works in this period, there's a lot of people going off and disguising themselves as someone, and somehow they run into siblings, parents, lovers, spouses who find them completely unrecognizable because they're wearing a different hat. Um, and so that this this is very much uh, you know once we're in the forest, we are in the world of romance, and in the world of romance, almost anything can happen, and it does. 
Mm. Well, it's nice to think about that uh, that when you when you leave your uh, usual place and go to um, a, a new unfamiliar place, that uh, the possibilities open up. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the other thing that you know the Duke really calls our attention to here is that. I think he hints that one of the things that allows him to find this sweetness is also that he has these co-mates. He has these brothers in exile. He has these other people who are in the same circumstance he is. They're all in this together. Um, he's not just having to find sweetness in adversity completely by himself. Instead, he has this community of people who are all you know, co-suffering with him. That, that's literally what compassion means, right? To suffer with. Um, and, and as such, they, they are able to have compassion for each other and with each other. And that is its own kind of sweetness. And so when I think about the moment at which we find ourselves, part of what I think about is the ways in which uh, we are, you know, even if we're isolated, there's a way in which we're all in this together. And that is something that can help one have the perspective that uh, maybe there's some sweetness to be found here. Mm. Uh, that's lovely. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, talking about this with me, Erin. Thank uh, you. My pleasure. We, we, will, uh, we will be talking to you again for our next episode. Excellent. Excellent. I'm very much looking forward to it. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Soliloquy Project, produced by the Greater Victoria Shakespeare Festival. To donate or for more information about our festival, please visit www.vicshakespeare.com. That's www.vicshakespeare.com. Stay safe and cozy this winter, and we'll see you again soon.